Welcome to Grafted, Jewish Roots of Christianity. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. Today, I have my friend, Shonda Fisher, with me. Shonda and I have done some Bible studies together, and we share a love of Scripture, really regarding our relationship with Jesus and how we love to learn. And so I invited her to be on this program today because I really wanted to kind of treat this episode a little differently where it was more like a Bible study instead of just an interview, which is not bad. I love the interviews too, because I learn a lot from my guest. And I think Shonda and I, I learn from her and I, I get excited when she gets excited about scripture. And, but I thought it would be fun for her and I just to carry on, like we're having our own personal Bible study. Thank you for being with me in the last minute, like it was, because I literally asked her last night if she would do this with me today. So thanks for being here. You're welcome. I'm very thrilled. I'm excited. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. So we're going to start in chapter two, Genesis chapter two, I should say. We're just going to go through probably Genesis two and three, talk about the Garden of Eden, talk about Adam and Eve. Maybe we'll get on some tangents as well. But there's so many interesting things in here, and I thought it would be cool just to do a short Bible study. Let's just let me read a few verses, and I don't want to read it all. That's why I'll keep giving you the references of where we are. But I'll just start by reading a little bit here to get us going. Genesis 2, verse 1, starting with verse 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So Shonda, what do you hear constantly repeated in this particular passage of scripture, like these three verses? What what do you keep hearing? How he had finished his work and you keep hearing the seventh day he rested and he made it holy. He rested, you know, so yes, rested. Mm-hmm. He rested from what? What would you say he rested from? What was, what was he doing? He was creating. Yeah. So in the first chapter, he's just creating, but, but it, it's funny because if we really think about God, how does he create? He probably could just like speak it into existence, right? It's just funny to me because it's it's considered work. He calls it work, so we know it is work. But at the same time, when we have a God who is so powerful, was it right? How how much of a work was it? You know, have you ever thought about that? Right, because you think he could just speak it and create it into existence. Yeah, I think it's just interesting. I mean, I think that one of the things that when Jewish people when they study the Torah. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but studying Torah is the highest form of worship. And they sit down and they ask questions and they talk about what they think happened. And sometimes they become arguments, but but they always talk. They ask questions. And I think that's good. And, and I've even heard that um, on another podcast I listened to. If you're not familiar with Bema, B-E-M-A, it's a great podcast as well. And he's all about the questions. And, and I thought, it's interesting because he does exactly what the Jewish people would do with the rabbis and their students as they would discuss scripture. When you look at these first three verses and two, 
they actually should be part of chapter one. So the way that this chapter was divided was slightly off because if I read the last verse of one, it says, and God saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So then it goes into the seventh day that he rested. So it's kind of a continuation of that. But then after verse three in chapter two, which is talking about God resting from all of his work, it goes into the creation of man and woman. So we're definitely taking a little bit of a side trip now because we've already seen man and woman, Adam and Eve, created in chapter one. But now we're going to go into more detail here. And that's actually been a source of, I don't know if if you've ever heard this, but it's been a source of many, many writings. And even atheists talk about the Bible is not dependable because of this difference in almost repeating, almost making chapter two look like it's a separate time, a separate, like a whole separate creation. Right. That just tells me it's because there's something there that God is trying to tell us. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there's more to it than just what we're reading. There's more that he's trying to tell us. I would agree. Yeah, I think that's a good point. He's definitely got more because as we read, we'll we'll see more detail. And one of the first details we have is if you look at the way that he is in chapter one, we see just the, the word God, which in Hebrew would be Elohim. But if you look in chapter two, Verse five, we see a different name. Right. And what is that name? You want to tell them? Yeah. In my Bible, it says Lord, Lord God. Mm-hmm. So these are all in caps. The Lord is right. all in caps. Mm-hmm. And so that is talking about yod Hey vav Hey. So this is the first time we see yod Hey vav Hey in the Bible is right after the creation story. And I wonder why. Have you ever, I mean... Why do you think he changed his name or or gave us his true name, maybe even because we see Elohim, but now we see yod heh vav That makes, I mean, yeah, well, in the beginning when he was, you know, when he was, like he said, Elohim, it was just him. So now from what we've talked about, it's because there's another, there's a man, he has created man. Yeah, I think so. Maybe because he has now man at this point. And as we read, we'll see the uh, woman being made as well. I think, and I could be wrong, and I don't, I don't necessarily know everything about this, but I feel like Yodhe Vavhe is more of his covenant name. It's more of a relationship name that he has for man, not just creation. Because look at everything he created. He created everything, everything that we know, but man was on the sixth day, man was last, but up until then it was every ocean, every every piece of land, every animal, bird, fish, everything like that, that wouldn't necessarily give him praise. But once he creates man, now we see that he's the Lord God. And I, I think there's got to be a reason for that. And I don't necessarily know it, but it, it makes sense. I mean, Because, you know, when you first, uh, well, kind of like with us, you know, when you first meet somebody, you might call them Mr. or Mrs. Smith. But then once you get to know them and you have a relationship with them, um, then you're going to call them by their first name. That's true. 
That's a good point. Yeah. So he was the creator. Right. That's a good point because he was the creator in chapter one, but now he's got a man there in his, the garden that he created who's walking with him and talking with him. And he's, here's my name. This is what I want you to call me. So that's a really good point. Right. I'm no longer just Elohim. It's interesting though, because Elohim, actually, if you take the parts of the word, the five consonants that make up Elohim, you actually have a picture of the father. You have a picture of the son. You have the picture of the Holy Spirit. And then you have a picture of creation, which is actually um, water and life. And so you you see a picture of creation from the three and one. And, and it's a really beautiful picture when you put those letters together that make up the word Elohim, because it's such a Hebrew is such a pictographic language. Mm-hmm. So interesting point there. That's a good point that you made, too. So later on in this chapter, we see that the Lord formed the man of dust. He breathed life into him. And of course, we've we've probably all heard that, you know, he's really, man is the only living creature that God himself breathed life into, which is a beautiful picture of that, that God came down to man's level in a sense to breathe into him. Right. Have you seen the the memes that go around that talk about yod Hey vav Hey making the sound, breathing in and breathing out? Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then when you see that he breathed into him, it kind of sounds like the spirit too. Because if we even go to the New Testament, Jesus breathed on his disciples to give them the Holy Spirit in certain times. And and again, I think that I just thought of that. But here we see even Yeshua, Jesus, breathing on his disciples and we yeah. see God breathing on this first man. I love that. Yeah. And that's what I love about Bible study. You know, like as you start asking questions, as you start talking, I don't know about you. I mean, but the Lord starts putting other things in my head. It starts bringing things together. Right. And I think that's just, that's the work of the Holy spirit, but I don't know. That's what makes me excited about Bible study. So. Yeah, because it's like the more you start reading, certain things will just pop out. And then you're like, well, I wonder why. And there's that question again, you know, like they, like the, the Jewish people would do with the rabbi. And so then you question it. And once you start looking, it's like, God just starts revealing all kinds of secrets to you that you're not going to get if you just per se sit down and just read the Bible. You're only going to get it if you study it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we're meant to study it together. I agree. Yeah, we ask questions, we talk, even if it's a stupid thing, you know, I think that's okay, too. Even if it's like, oh, I'm going way off on a, you know, slippery slope here. But what about this? Or what about that? What do you think? Do these tie in? And, and um, I think all those are, are good, just because if it gets you talking about scripture, it gets you talking about God together, it's, it's good. And that's what it was meant to, to do. I, I heard somebody say today, even somebody I was listening to on YouTube, and they said scripture was not meant to study alone. It, it was meant to study together and be in relationship with people that you're studying with. I agree. Mm-hmm. So we all know that the garden was the place that God put Adam and Eve. 
But Shonda and I learned from Rabbi Jason Sobel that that garden was probably in Jerusalem. What we know as Jerusalem, it was in the borders of Israel. And it's interesting if you think of that. Was that the first time you had heard that or had you heard that before? No, that was the first time I heard of it when he said that. I was like blown away. Mm -hmm. I was like, makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because where did he put his people? He, I mean, I think that the Lord has always wanted us to go back to the Garden of Eden. And we even see that in Revelation. We see the um, the tree of life coming back. And mm-hmm. and I think in a sense, it's it's the Garden of Eden. But we, we see it all coming back to Jerusalem. And I think that God was always, his intention was to get us back into the Garden in a way. It may not look exactly like it did in Genesis, but the sentiment is the same. And the intention is the same to be where we are. And to have relationship right. with us. I was always taught it was like Babylon or somewhere around there. But to really understand that the Garden of Eden was probably in Jerusalem, or at least in that area, to the best of our understanding, then where did God take his people? He took them to the place where the Garden of Eden was. Where did he build his tabernacle? in the place where he used to walk with Adam and Eve. So now he could be with them again. And I mean, it's like, it's, it's amazing how they all start connecting. Right. And they're not individual stories. Like we kind of learn in Sunday school. Right. They're stories of continuation and bigger and bigger part. I always kind of look at it as having a wide lens on my camera and looking down at the Bible to see the whole story instead of just with the telephoto lens to see one part. Well, I mean, you think about it, it all makes mm-hmm. so much perfect sense because, you know, Adam and Eve, everything was perfect and they walked with God every day and they, you know, they, they didn't have any wants. They had everything they needed right there in the garden of Eden. So why wouldn't he want us back at that? Mm-hmm. Makes perfect sense. And then it talks about the four rivers and everything here if we keep if we keep reading but one of the things i heard is that one of the rivers and this is a reason why they believe that the garden of eden was in where jerusalem is now was because as we know through time through the floods through you know whatever has been going on especially if we if you're out there and you believe that there was a worldwide flood then things change territory changes Landscapes change, but one of the the rivers is still run through that area. And that's one of the four rivers Mm -hmm. that are mentioned here. But the next verse in 19, so we're still in Genesis 2. And I wanted to include this before we went on, because when Shonda and I were talking about this before, this verse kind of stuck out like a sore thumb to me. And I asked her what she thought. And it says, the Lord God took the man And put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day that you eat it, you will surely die. And I thought, well, here it says that he's talking to Adam. And I never thought about it before, but it never mentions Eve. But we know that in chapter three, that the serpent comes to Eve and 
questions her about what God actually said, but yet she wasn't there when he said it. So how do you take that? Yeah. I mean, it makes you wonder why the serpent, you know, it somehow has to tie in because why would the serpent talk to her specifically? It almost makes you think it was because Adam told her. So maybe she had some kind of doubt in her mind with that as Adam too, you know, trusting Adam is okay. Is that what God really said? Maybe Adam got it wrong. And so maybe Mm. that's how the serpent was able to deceive her a little easier, I think, than he would have Adam if it was Adam that told Eve that you're not to eat of that tree rather than God. Because like you said, she's not mentioned here and, and God is telling Adam, you know, you can't eat of that tree. Yeah. Again, that's a good point because how many of us have it, have doubted our spouse? Like, okay, I mean, my spouse has come to me and said, I believe God is telling me. I'm like, are you sure? You know, (laughs) really? Because he didn't tell me that. So, you know, we have these doubts. It's easy. I can't believe that they were any different. But yeah, since she wasn't there. And I don't know that I've ever heard anybody point that out. Like she wasn't there when God said it. So did Adam tell her or did God repeat it to her? Like take her aside. Hey, I already told Adam, but I'm going to tell you. Or did he say, okay, Adam, this is your mate. You tell her what I've told you. Well, he did make her as a helpmate. So, you know, they, they are mm-hmm. supposed to communicate with each other and help one another. So yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, maybe he left it up mm-hmm. to Adam. We won't know until heaven, right? But but I'm sure we'll understand one day. But that's a good question. It's just, It's like, there it is. She wasn't there. You know, like that could have been a really good excuse. I wasn't there when he said it, you know, I'm just going by what my husband said. Right. So moving on, because that's a really good point. We could stay there for a while, but, but God decides that it's not good for man to be alone. So what does he do? He takes Adam and he, he takes him basically and has all the beasts of the fields and all the birds of the heaven brought to him so that he could name them. But then he kind of, in a sense, says, okay, so pick a pick a mate out of all this. But yet it says that there was no helper found fit for him. And so I, I think that's interesting because, again, we're going to see this same to every beast of the field. We're going to see that again. So here's all the beasts coming before him. You can just imagine that they're all kind of going by single file. And he's like, nope. Nope, not that one. No, not, not, not that one. But so what does the Lord do? The Lord God, it says he puts Adam to sleep and he takes a rib. But one of the things that I've learned that it wasn't just a rib. When Adam was created, he was given all the DNA of every other human being that would be on this earth, just like a bear. You know, did God create the grizzly, the black bear, the brown bear, the polar bear and every other bear that we have and put them all in the garden of Eden. I don't believe he did. And nor do most scholars. He probably just made one bear. And within that bear was all the DNA for every bear we have. Same for Adam. It's explained, especially in Hebrew tradition, that words that we translate as rib was actually from his side because we know it's bone of Mm -hmm. my bones, flesh of my flesh. So it wasn't just a bone. It was his flesh and that that flesh is taken out 
and the that DNA is taken out and it's put into a woman. And it's an interesting concept because we don't often, that's not the way it's, it's often been taught. And so I think it just makes a whole lot more sense because I remember even talking about this as a kid. I remember a pastor and his wife being at our kitchen table and saying, isn't it odd that God just took a rib? He goes, you would actually think that man would have less ribs than women or something to show us. And I said, well, maybe you just put it back in. And, you know, I was like nine years old and they laughed. And But I think that's been a, like a question forever. Like, why a rib? I always had heard that he took the side that was where the heart was that from Adam because she was closest to his heart. So he took the side and made woman from the side of his, where his heart was located is what I was heard. I've heard mm. in teachings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think it, it's even more extensive than that too. I mean, I think in a sense, I mean, we don't know what Adam looked like, you know, we have no, no idea of what he looked like, but I do believe in some way, shape or form that he had all the anatomy of both women and men. And that is why God just took that out of him. He took that flesh from him and that those bones from him and made another woman because Adam was the only one that was truly created and everybody else came from him, including Eve. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So you see, he calls her woman. So this is the first name. And it says, because she was taken out of man. So it's a, it's kind of more of an effect of that this being is part of me. She was taken out of me. And I mentioned before, Rabbi David Foreman tells the story that because woman was taken out of man, that man is has been looking all of this time for the person that filled that space that was removed from him. And I I found that very interesting. And I actually came down and, and after I had read it, I, I talked to my husband about it to see what he thought, because it's almost like man is a deficit and he's at a deficit in the sense that he's looking, he's been looking for this soulmate in a sense that person that will fulfill the stuff that was taken from him where woman doesn't have that same mindset because woman was created more to be almost overflowing with service and I don't want to make that sound like you know women's like like subservient I'm not talking about that but because you're right. It's our, it's, it's inside of us to serve. I mean, that's yeah. just how God made us. I mean, take care of nurture. That's our, that's our DNA is to nurture and take care of and serve. Yes. Yeah, you're right. So, so it's, it's coming out of that filling that the Lord put in us, that filling of being a helper. He made us to be his helper. And, and so women automatically have that helperness. Now I'm not talking every single woman because, because there are certainly, we're all different and we all, you know, we're all not meant to be mothers. We're all not meant to be married. You know, there are people all over the place that have different lived in different ways, but, but even if you have a woman that's not married or doesn't have children, you still Mm -hmm. will find her maybe in another area, whether it's like even animals, you know, like 
rescuing animals, working with children in some other way, because we want to nurture something. Right. You know, I agree. A lot of single women I know have animals that they, you know, and I love my animals. And now that I don't have kids, yeah, my, my dogs are my babies. And I, I think that happens to all of us as we get older and our kids move out of our homes. But, um, but I think it's just come, it still comes from that place of nurturing. Right. And, and being a grandparent, I know you're a grandparent. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you don't lose that ability to nurture that stays with you. Right. It's, it's just part of who we are. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that was an interesting point that Rabbi Foreman brought up. So it ends this chapter with saying that therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So think of that. Again, going back to what I just said, a man is looking to become one again with a woman because that's how it began. And when you really think of it as being exactly like this, this, this whole human being was taken out of this man and made to be her own person. Right. And now they were supposed to be one again. Right. That's good. That's, that's good. It's, it really makes you understand what God's, even what God wanted to do. It's like, I always meant for you to be one in a sense, one, maybe not one as in on one person, but to go back to the mindset in this and spiritually to be one. But 25 says, Verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That is an important verse because we're going to see it again in chapter three. We're going to see this word naked repeated several times. And it's good to remember that they were naked and they were not ashamed. They didn't know any different, right? I guess we could say. Right. Well, their eyes were closed to that, Um, you know, because... She hadn't ate the forbidden fruit yet. So mm-hmm. her eyes were closed to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't a bad thing, I guess is what I'm saying too. It wasn't a bad thing because we're going to see. Yeah. And like you said, we're going to see a whole different mm-hmm. mindset happen after the fall. And so, but here's the interesting thing. When we start chapter three, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Mm-hmm. There's that phrase again that the Lord God had made. Something I learned is that the word Mm -hmm. here for naked is spelled E-R-O-W-M. The word for crafty is spelled E-R-U-W-M. Oh, wow. So here, if you just went by the, the consonants like Hebrew does, they are the same word. Right. They have the same consonants. Only one vowel, and that's only one little mark at the bottom of the letter has changed. And so when this word is read in Hebrew, it would be read and the hearer, like think of back in the time that the rabbis read the scrolls, they would hear the serpent was naked. Okay, so they just read Mm. and the man and his wife were both naked. Now they're going to hear and the serpent was naked. Hmm. And he said to the woman, did he actually say, did God actually say, you shouldn't eat of the tree of the garden? And of course, we know the woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, 
neither shall you touch it lest you die. So of course she adds more here. Right. If you think about this serpent, isn't it interesting that he is described almost exactly like Adam and Eve are described in a sense that they're both naked. Hmm. The Jewish sages actually explain he wasn't just deceiving them with his words. He was deceiving them with his appearance. He wanted to look like them. Oh, wow. They even go as far as to suggest that he wanted Eve. Oh. He wanted to be the mate of Eve. Actually, in Hebrew, there's a sexual connotation there that he came to her. He came in a seductive way to her. And we don't we don't hear that side of the story. No, you don't. But I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense because later on, the Nephilims, and that's exactly what they did. It does make sense, right? It mm-hmm. does. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, because if we go and jump ahead to chapter six, we see that these angels come down and they have a sexual relationship. They have an intimate relationship with the daughters of men. Right. He started it first. He did. And that would also go back to why he chose Eve over Adam to get to eat the fruit from the tree, the forbidden fruit. And I do think that you brought up a good point. It's twofold. He wanted her, but he also knew that maybe she didn't get that message right from God. So she's believing and he's trying to discredit Adam in her eyes, not just God. Right. Oh, right. That's good. So again, this is just discussion. These are just questions. We don't know all the answers, but we can ask questions. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. So it goes on because when you read verse six, it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit and ate and gave some to her husband. So we already see that word desire there. Mm -hmm. And so let me ask you this. Right. This, uh, this is a good question, I think. So this is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So do you think Adam and Eve had any idea of what good and evil was before they ate of this tree? I don't think so. Because they've never been introduced to sin. Mm-hmm. There was no sin. So they, of course, they didn't know what evil was. And good. Um Okay, so what's going through my mind is they didn't have anything to compare what they were living to because all they knew is what they had been living at that time in that moment from the very beginning. So they didn't have anything to compare it to. So what's in their minds as good and evil could mean something more higher up, better than what they've got already. And you make a good point because all they know is what God has told them. Right. They don't know anything other than what God has told them. So think about it this way. Say we have no influence of the world. We have no influence. We've been living in a little cocoon, reading our Bibles and talking to God. And that's all we've done for the majority of our life. We didn't have a TV. We didn't have phones. We had no other way of knowing. And all we believed was what we read in the Bible and maybe what our good God-fearing people around us told us about what was truth. And then we're suddenly subjected to TV, magazines, radio, internet, phones, and get a whole different picture. 
Okay, so this is kind of what we see happening here. They've only believed, only known, I don't even want to say believe because they've Mm -hmm. only known what God has told them. But here's a tree that suddenly gives them the knowledge of good and evil. Right. So think about it this way. It comes back to this word desire. Let me just read more scripture. It says their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. And so that we know the story. They sewed the, the leaves together. Right. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the cool of the day. So we'll come back to that. The Lord called out to the man in verse nine and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. Now, that makes no sense to me. Okay. Why were they afraid? Because they were naked. I would think it'd be more like a parent relationship where you're afraid because, oh, I just did what he said I shouldn't Mm. do. And now I'm in trouble. Right. So now again, come back with me. Their eyes were opened. They were already tempted by the desire. Okay. So already before she ever took the fruit, this, you see the temptation. She saw the tree was good. She saw it was a delight to the eyes and that now she desired this wisdom. So here's the temptation and the mulling over of, should I do this? And it's out and she just does it. She eats it. But what I think it opened their eyes to was now subjective opinion to good and evil. So think about it. We base our good and evil on our own desires, right? Right. So think of something huge like abortion. There's many opinions, but abortion is okay or good to some people and it's evil to others. Why is it good to some and Mm. evil to others? It's based on our desire. Right, right. Okay, now go back to something really simple. I did the hard one first in a sense. Think about it even within the church. We can go and say, this translation of the Bible is good. This one is evil. Speaking in tongues is good, and others say speaking in tongues is evil. It's not from God, or it's not for us anymore. That's right. Um, We can take a whole laundry list of things in which Christians are divided by, and it's based somewhat on our subjective understanding of what good and evil is. Because the Lord doesn't spell out every single thing for us. And I I just think that's so interesting because we are still there today. We are still under the curse of this tree. Right. Jesus has come to save us from the curse, but we're human and we are still subjectively making decisions about what is good and what is evil in our everyday lives. And that's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve, because why were they afraid? Because it was good back in chapter two. Right. They were naked and they were not ashamed, but suddenly they're afraid. What are they afraid of? What do we equate nakedness with? Well, shame, you know. But even even more so in the world, we we relate it to a sexual relationship. We relate it to some kind of intimacy, right? Right, right. And it's related even to desire. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why porn is so popular, right? Because there's right. desire there. Right. Here we have, they're afraid. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of this desire they suddenly have. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, my. 
never thought about that. Yeah. So they are feeling this desire. So they have to cover up. Oh, wow. Cover up. So I can't see you because suddenly this desire is very scary. Right. That, that is good. I never thought about it that way before, but that makes perfect sense. Rabbi Foreman actually calls it the tree of desire because that's what it was. It allowed them to have desires. It allowed them to now base what they desired as being good or evil. Right. Wow. And that would make so much sense because that's why they covered themselves because they were like, you know, (laughs) don't want to look at you because the way the body's reacting or the way, you know, the feelings that are going on inside you. So yeah, so they covered themselves. And then when, Mm -hmm. when God said, you know, where are you? And why aren't you? They're like, oh, because we're naked. Yeah. It scared me. The desire scared me. Right. That I suddenly had. Because I never felt that before. this woman you gave me. I suddenly had this desire. Right. That's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. So here, let's go back to the fact that the Lord God was walking in the garden. Okay. So I heard, um, let's just put it this way. He was more like a rabbi. He's, he's a Messianic Jew. And he says that they heard the sound of the mm-hmm. Lord God walking through. Well, actually, it's not sound of the Lord God in the Hebrew Bible. It's the word of God. They heard the word of God walking through the garden. Oh, wow. So that has a different meaning. <laughs> so who was it? I actually have it written in my Bible because it's called Memra, M-E-M-R-A. And that stands for word. And that word, that particular word, that means word, um, is used in creation. It's used throughout scripture. And it's actually more of an Aramaic word. And so it, whenever something is happening, it's the word of God came to them. Or the word of God spoke. Mm-hmm. Okay. So again, gives a whole different picture that there was one who is called the word of God, who is doing this, who is there. Right. And that's the interesting thing. You can see that word, M-E-M-R-A, Memra. I probably say it badly, but that's what is used in the Aramaic scriptures. And I think that was so interesting because God is spirit, but who is not spirit, who is flesh and blood in the sense that we knew him in the new Testament. We know Jesus as the flesh and blood man and God. I think here, the fact that he's walking means he's not spirit. He has legs. He's walking. So here we see actually Jesus walking in the garden. Mm -hmm. We should probably stop there because I think that we've taken enough time, but the only verse I'll draw your attention to is that after they've taken of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the fall and the curses that God put out there in verse 20 of chapter three, it says the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. So now suddenly we see her going from being called woman to being called Eve, because now what's associated with being the mother, there's a desire that happens Mm -hmm. that comes up in, make someone a mother <laughs> so, right you know you get what i'm saying there right. so there is 
there's a desire to be a mother, but there's also has to be an intimate relationship to be right. a mother, at least, at least for the most part, right. right? We can, there's artificial ways of having that, making that happen, but we're not talking about that back in this time. So here we see her name changed based on what she can do from who she was being part of him. Right. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So I hope that was good. I hope you learned something there. I know I have been wanting to share the stuff that I've been learning for a long time, but I, I just felt like that was a good place to start with scripture. It's starting yeah. right back at the Garden of Eden. And it just, it opens your eyes to new things. And it, I think for me, it makes me excited to really dig into scripture more because there's so much that we're missing. You know, we're just kind of read, when you just read over scriptures, there's so much you're missing, but if you dig into it, and to know the Hebraic alphabet and, and how all that works, it just, uh, it makes a whole new meaning to what you're reading. It really does. It pulls out all kinds of treasures in the Bible. And I've never thought about some of those things that you've mentioned about her name and about them being naked in the desire. That just really makes sense. That opens up a whole new avenue for me. That's good. I'm glad to hear it. And I, I mean, I felt the same way. Yeah. As I was learning this, I was like, oh my goodness, who could I tell? That's how I am. And my poor husband is the one that I usually tell. I love learning this. This is excellent, excellent to learn. Shonda and I are going to do a few of these together. We're going to do some more at later times. Yeah. We hope to do one for Passover first and then for Pentecost. I've got some more scripture in mind that we can do this and just sit down and talk and hash it out so to speak you know just talk about scripture anything else you'd like to add before we close i was gonna tell you something that i had learned let's see oh i had learned when the serpent told eve that you're not gonna die because she said you will surely die what they're talking about there is not an actual physical death it's a spiritual death and I was like, you know, before you just read that and you're like, okay, you're going to, you don't really put that in your mind unless you're really studying it. But he was talking about the script there, the spiritual death and that it's only a half truth, which is how the devil works with all of us. He always tries to give you half truth along with his lie, just to kind of make it more believable and we fall for it. So I can understand where Eve may have fallen for it because we're the same way. We all are. You're right, though. That is true. And we just kind of skipped over that. But that's a very good point because, yeah, it wasn't a physical death. And we are still experiencing spiritual death. We start from a place of spiritual death and then we're giving life through Jesus Christ. And without him, we're stuck in that spiritual death. And even Revelation talks about the second death, not just the death of the body, but the death of the spirit living in darkness. Don't even think about that. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, this has been great. I love it. I enjoy learning all this new stuff. So keep sharing. Thank you. So good to have you. And we'll talk more later. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. You can find me at www.graftedjewishroots.com. You can also find me on Twitter at graftedjewishrt. I appreciate you being with me and I'll see you next time.